0: Saint John the Baptist says, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So the relationship that God wants from each of us is one that can um, that is based on character, and it's based on manners and conduct and strong faith and regular partaking of the Eucharist. That's that strong relationship that God is seeking from us. It's not built on anything else. It's vain and useless to boast and take pride in the virtues of our parents, or our ancestry, or our heritage, and things of that sort, when we ourselves fall short of the virtues of those who came before us. But we know that God desires all people to be saved. It's not just one people, but all people, because faith and graces that God gives us through the faith is available to everyone in the whole world, everyone around us, everyone in our social circles, that may not be receiving the same graces that we receive, they are also being called, maybe through you, to enjoy the same graces. Um, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. In Timothy 2.4, Our Good Father desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He wants everyone to be saved. And He is constantly knocking on the doors of every human being. Maybe He's knocking on them through your actions. And it's our responsibility as well that when we're in front of other people, that our actions impact the lives of others. And so that He can also save them whom He loves as well. He gives His graces freely to all those who seek it, and that our lives should be straight leading to the kingdom of God, which of course lasts forever. So how then do we straighten our lives and bear these fruits worthy of repentance as St. John the Baptist commands us? First, to recognize that repentance, like St. John commands, is a gift from God, right? It's not something by our own power. Even the desire to repent is a gift from God. From beginning to end, it comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It doesn't come from our own power or desire. So repentance is a gift of our good uh, of our good Father that desires us to return to Him because He loves us, right? Because if sin separates us from the source of life and from the one who has no sin, then repentance is a type of reconciliation to that same person, to, to God Himself. And it allows us to return to Him. So God grants us this gift of awakening. it kind of awakens our, our souls so that we can... Um, we turn and have that desire to allow him to work inside of us to actually bear the fruits of repentance. Pope Shenouda has an excellent book, some of you may have read it, called Repentance and Purity. Uh, In it, he gives uh, some very beautiful definitions of what repentance is. When somebody asks, what is repentance? He says, repentance is God's outstretched hand seeking reconciliation with you. Repentance is a reply from mankind to God's invitation and to his voice. Repentance is a cry from the conscience and a revolt against the past. It is repulsion from sin, great regret, and rejection of the old state with its embarrassment and shame. Repentance is renewal for the the mind. Renewal of one's nature occurs in baptism, as we know, but renewal of the mind occurs in in repentance. So we, through baptism, receive a new nature, but through repentance, we have a renewed mind, and we practice that repentance on a daily basis. Yeah. Repentance is a strong rebuke to our enemy, the devil. Um, it's a slap in the face when, uh, when we repent to our enemy who wants to seek us to fall continuously. But when we repent, we proclaim our victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, it is a chance to turn a new page, which God opens in his relationship with you. Repentance causes joy in heaven and on earth. Practicing repentance has some key qualities. Um, When we practice repentance, how do we take some practical steps towards repentance? First, like we talked about, we recognize that it is a gift from God and we stand in humility in requesting God's help in any kind of effort towards repentance. And we need to value this gift so that when God gives us this desire to repent, we actually respond to it and not just ignore it. Uh, When St. Paul was preaching to one of the uh, people in high government um, the, that person said, "You almost convert me to. Uh, you almost convinced me to convert to Christianity." So you can see the Holy Spirit working in him, but because he didn't take action and actually follow through, we don't know that uh, he got baptized uh, afterwards. So it's important when God does work in your heart, and you know when He will, when you when you're pricked by, uh, by your conscience, or when you have that desire to repent, that you should act on it as quickly as possible and don't just ignore this gift because it is not coming from inside of you. It's coming from God working inside of you. It's a gift from outside of you. Second, we should recognize that the truth of the matter, right? That the things that we're leaving behind are but garbage compared to what repentance opens up and makes available for us. We oftentimes leave a sin only to return to it at a later time. And that's not like a repentance in its full state. Although, of course, the effort of repentance oftentimes does include falling and getting back up again many times. But true and final repentance is when we don't ever return to that sin. In Proverbs 26, 11, it says, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly." If we recognize the truth, that is, what we leave behind is but garbage and vomit that these things that we leave behind are just gross things that we were doing and now we want to live in, a, in the light and in a great victory and a victorious life, then we would never return to it and we'd repent much quicker. So we should recognize that truth of the matter, and this is the truth indeed. Thirdly, we should use the tools that the Church has given us, most importantly the source of all grace, which is, of course, baptism and the Eucharist. So we receive baptism, and when we partake of the Eucharist, that strengthens us and allows us to uh, enjoy the fruits of repentance. So we need to come to that altar regularly and take the communion regularly. Many you might have seen fall into the, the, the mistake of saying, I'm not worthy of taking communion, I'm not gonna take communion until I've repented. And you need to really take some advice from your confessor father on this one, because oftentimes you cannot repent unless you take communion from uh, the altar, so that repentance is only made available to us through the grace of the Eucharist. So, you know, as long as we're evaluating ourselves and we recognize the gift that's on the altar, we should partake of that altar as much as possible because that opens up for us much strength and much grace to overcome any temptation and overcome repentance. Um, You may be limiting the very thing that can help you, so be sure you don't go too far from that. But also the other church tools that that they give us, fasting, the hymns, the readings, the prayers, like the prayers of the day, etc. We should always be close to those. uh, They are not the goals themselves, but these are exercises that the church gives us to accomplish repentance and also to get closer to the Holy Spirit uh, and his work inside of us. Finally, when we talk about repentance, we always have to talk about hope because oftentimes repentance is difficult, especially from those sins that have uh, took part of our personality and character, sins that, we, that have become habitual in our personality. And so oftentimes those are a little bit difficult, and it involves a lot of going up and coming back down again, right? And you, over, you think you overcome, only to have it hit you again. And so despair of repentance and feeling. That there is no hope to repent is worse than the sin itself we always have to have hope that we will overcome it leads to that kind of despair. Leads to deeper involvement into the sin and gets worse and worse um, we, we see the example for example of Judas who uh, denied Christ right and, then, uh, and, and betrayed him and also st. Peter denied Christ as well it's a type of betrayal But the difference between the two is that Judas despaired and hung himself, and therefore there was no room for repentance for him. Where St. Peter hoped in the love and mercy of Christ, and Christ, of course, accepted him and blessed him. Um, Despair is a kind of lack of faith. It's not lack of faith in the ability of God to part the Red Sea or to move a mountain, but it's uh, it's a lack of faith in his love and in his humility and his Longing for us to get closer to Him. We should have faith in His love. More than anything, we should have faith in His love. It's also um, important for us to look at the cross. When we look at the cross, that cross is a show of that humility and love. And so that accepts uh, all of our repentance, no matter how weak it may seem. He always accepts us. Um, when we lack hope it's also a show of cowardice uh in the face of sin and giving it power and giving the devil power instead we should say when we fall and and uh, desire to get back up again and we fall again we tell our enemy do not rejoice over me oh my enemy when i fall i will arise and i will sit in dark and when i sit in darkness the lord will be alive to me so the lord on the cross when we Look at Him and calling all of His people with that great show of love and mercy that He shows on the cross. uh, He has His hands outstretched, right? Willing for all of us to go back to Him in the greatest show of His love and mercy. Uh, In fact, if you look, His uh, his hands are nailed open so that nothing can close them, not even our sins. And even if we um, have great sins, even then His arms remain outstretched Mm. on the cross. So if you wish to return, nothing is hindering us, right? Only our lack of faith in his love can hinder us. But when we have faith and assurance of his love, we we go back no matter what. Nothing, not even our sins, are hindering us. Uh, There's a wonderful story about uh, repentance in the lives of the desert fathers, which I'll tell you. One old man was asked, you know, is it possible that repentance can really happen, you know, and, and especially if somebody's progressing in the spiritual path and stumbles, is it possible that one return to God and be like he was before? And so the old man responded saying um, that the life of a Christian that has fallen in sin is like a house that has fallen down to, due to some kind of major storm that hit it. If he or she is zealous in the mind and eager to rebuild the house which fell down, the Christian will find all the material, right? When he goes back to that house that's fallen down, he'll find all the material and all the remains of the house that fell scattered all over the floor. The foundation stone is still there and there may be one or two walls still standing. The tools that he used to build the house is still at arm's length so he can bring them and use them. He doesn't have to get those again. He also, he also has experience on how to build the house. He's built it before and didn't, um, and you know, when it fell, he, you know, before it fell, he might have thought, okay, there are some things, there's some other improvements uh, and some other ways that I would have done things differently if I built the house all over again. So now it's an opportunity to strengthen the house. And now that he knows that this house is prone to these kind of storms in this area, he can strengthen the walls a little bit more uh, and so that this doesn't happen again. So this person with a shattered house is now faced with an opportunity to build a house better than before. At a much cheaper cost, much faster because he has that experience now, and a much higher quality than he did before. So this situation is actually better than somebody who has never fallen in the first place. Who has never built a house in the first place. Because um, that person who still needs to raise money, buy the materials, buy the tools, start from scratch, learn through trial and error how to fix and how to build a home, purchase the land, and then begin building, hoping that he'll finish. Repentance is like this story. The only thing that stops us is our own fears. But when we take to the mind of repenting, we know that we will build and stand much stronger than we were even before our our sin and our fall. So God himself stands nearby, willing and passionate, about our return and able to help us to stand again, of course. But let's return to the story of St. John. The Jewish people at the time were in expectation, as the Gospel today reads, right, that they were in expectation. What does that mean, that they were in expectation? Firstly, that there wasn't a prophet in Israel for over 400 years since Malachi. So 400 years, so they were like, okay, it's about time that a prophet comes. So this generation was very... Uh, antici- uh, eager and anticipating a prophet to come. So St. John's uh, message was perfect timing. St. Matthew also uh, in his Gospel elaborates on this. He says, from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the captivity of Babylon were 14 generations. And from the captivity of Babylon to Christ and St. John the Baptist were, we guess it, 14 generations. So the, the people knew that something was about to happen. And so when St. John began to preach in this high expectation of the people, um, a lot of people started coming to him. Because of his high level of uh, sanctity and holiness and his mode of life, and also this great expectation, the whole countryside were following him. And multitudes, the Bible says, were flocking to him to do this uh, new thing that he was doing called baptism. And St. John, when each of them came to him, gave each one the appropriate uh, advice. So he was like a true pastoral leader from beginning to end. As the Gospel of Luke shows today, each group would come to him asking, what should we do? And he gave each one a separate message. To the tax collectors, he said, you know, that uh, are those working in government not to embezzle money or to take from what is required, but to uh, faithfully perform the duties that were entrusted to them. And to the soldiers, he tells them not to be heavy-handed or to use their power uh, for their own uh, cause. And to the leaders, he rebuked them openly, boldly, like a voice crying in the wilderness. He calls them uh, children of snakes, warning them of the wrath to come, and that an axe is going to be laid to the root. He rebukes even King Herod himself, and telling him that he's living in sin, and because of this, of course, he was imprisoned, and ultimately beheaded by Herod's command. And he gave all, and it says here, he gave all different types of other people, different exhortations and encouragements, each one according to their need. He receives a huge following, and has a profound impact on the society around him. St. John was a huge character in the New Testament, uh, but he was actually considered the last Old Testament prophet. And so, so profound was his uh, ministry that they asked him, are you the Messiah? They actually thought maybe he was the Messiah. And in fact, even after Christ's resurrection, many years later, we read in the book of Acts that his impact of his ministry was still being felt Uh, There was a Jewish person that was born in Alexandria, and he came to preach in Israel during the time of the apostles, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 18. The book of Acts says that he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. He knew that Jesus was Christ, and he knew from the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Based on the baptism of John, he didn't know the apostles, and he didn't know that there was even a baptism to receive the Holy Spirit. Later on, we know of course St. Paul baptizes him, um, but even though he wasn't an apostle and didn't meet the apostles, he was relying on the teachings of St. John. So that's how powerful the the preaching of St. John was. Uh, So much so that in the Gospel of St. John, uh, when St. John the Evangelist was speaking of St. John the Baptist, he says that there was a man sent from God, he was not that, light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. So even St. John, who wrote the gospel, many years later, felt the need to distinguish and say St. John the Baptist was not the Messiah. So profound was his life and his ministry and his preaching. So, he takes all of this multitude of people who would have made him the Messiah if he would have taken it upon himself, right? He would have said, you know, he could have just honored himself and No one would have argued with him. He had everybody mesmerized because of his amazing preaching. But he does what a good faithful servant does. And he says, I must decrease that he may increase. And he takes this whole large multitude of people that followed him and were eager and and anticipating the Messiah to come. And he gave them all to Christ and pointed and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he tells his disciples to follow him. He didn't say, these are my followers and no one else's, but openly declared that Christ was the one whom they should follow, and next week's reading kind of further elaborates that as well. So, so amazing was his conduct of life and his preaching, and the timing of his preaching, that the multitude of people kept asking him, are you the Messiah? And he says, in response, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. St. John the Baptist was entrusted with being the greatest of the Old Testament prophets um, and fulfilled his mission superbly. We too, though, are also asked for a mission as well. We too are entrusted with spiritual responsibilities. For example, when we have children, do we call them our own? Or do we recognize the truth that they belong to Christ and we raise them accordingly? Look at the example, of course, of St. Macrina, uh, who um, whose parents died and she raised <clears throat> her brothers and sisters. Uh, two of her brothers became patriarchs, one of them a bishop, and of course, one of those brothers we know is St. Basil. Basil, right? The patron of this church. Maybe we say that we have a service in the church and this is my service, right? Or is it our service, or is it Christ's service? And is it, are we doing this service so that we can hand it to Christ in the end? Pope Shenouda said, When will I serve the master of the house and not just the house? When will I serve the master of the house? Do we have money and call it our own? Or is it a gift that God has given us? Or do we give it to him and to those who uh, need it? And do we share? Do we have talents and we call them our own? Or do we use them to glorify God? Can we aim to be like St. John the Baptist who points all that he had and all that following he had, he points to Christ? Or will we be like the wicked vine dressers, who mistakenly thought that the vineyard was theirs and they tried to steal it from the true owner, which is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ? Let's be like St. John the Baptist and give to Christ what already belongs to him. So may God's mercy and love grant us strength from on high to be like St. John the Baptist and say with him, I must decrease that Christ may increase and to straighten our lives and to prepare the way of the Lord to be before forever. Amen.